The Polar Talks 2015 are brought to you in association with SAS Scandinavian Airlines. We are, of course, moving on to our other laureate, but before you will be able to meet her in person, we do have a tribute in her honor. At the tribute, Dame Evelyn Glennie, please welcome the one and only Niklas Mesaros. It is a little less known fact about me that before I go on stage, I hum to myself. It goes back to from when I was a kid. I used to hum a lot to myself. I suppose the vibrations felt good. And it is a soothing sound, like a cat purring, confirming the calm feeling spreading from your chest. In middle school, it also kind of worked as a way of stalling for time. Nicholas, what is five times eight? Um. Um, hmm. times, um, I don't, hmm. no, 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 I was brutally bad at math. No one could explain to me why certain numbers made sense and others just made Monday mornings implode and I couldn't keep up. And so, I would spend the great length of a summer every morning trying to memorize multiplications, crying over feeling so stupid. Though the hardest lesson to learn was understanding how it all applied to life. You see, for me, it wasn't intuitive enough. I needed to physically feel in order to learn. And this, Evelyn, is why you are not only an exceptionally gifted musician, but a teacher. You taught me how to make something meaningful. From that, I could not understand, and even more, how to share it. Because my math teacher, she wouldn't let me off the hook. And the numbers, they just wouldn't add up. And so I had to start explaining myself in a more verbal way. And so it happened. I kind of had a talent for it. Sometimes it is what people would present to you as a problem that turns out to be the very thing that makes you better, that makes you grow. Because the world is always trying to tell you something. You just need to find a way to listen a little closer. Now, 
I still don't know how to solve math problems. But I can make goosebumps tell you all you need to know. I don't sing, but I can make the alphabet dance, and I don't play any instruments. Instead, I talk. But you, Evelyn, showed me how to say more than words. You see, this smile is never just a sign of affection. It's a heartbeat. And tonight, we're all smiling for you. Thank you. And thank you, Evelyn. Thank you. First of all, thank you very much, Niklas. You always really touch me here, up in my heart. Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come. Please welcome journalist Bo Löfendahl with this year's amazing laureate of the Polar Music Prize, Dame Evelyn Glenny. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I think so. Is this better? Is this okay? Yes, it's fine. Thank you. That was, may I just first of all say, an extraordinary introduction by Nicholas. And uh, he's absolutely right that something that appears to be a challenge or taken away is often the exact route that you need in order to move forward and find new discoveries with yourself. So I really do appreciate what you did there, Nicholas. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, yes, I think Nicholas uh, talked about being able to uh, to listen to to himself yes. uh, and uh, when we talked uh, some weeks ago and I interviewed you for this uh, uh, article in Svenska Dagbladet uh, you, you said everyone needs to learn how to listen to themselves and your um, your website has the device teach the world to listen could you uh, tell us a little about what you mean by that? Well, I think it's, it's interesting. It goes back to the very first percussion lesson I had when I was 12 years old. And uh, you can imagine the excitement of walking into a, a, a percussion room and uh, you're expecting to, you know, bang on everything in that room. And in actual fact, what happened was that my teacher said, Evelyn, Here's a snare drum. See you next week. That was it. He asked me to take the snare drum away for one week. Only the snare drum, no stand, and no sticks. So that lesson lasted about five minutes maximum. I took the drum home, and of course my parents said, what on earth have you got there? 
And I said, well, I, I, I don't know, it's a drum, you know. And what I did was that I looked at it, I had no idea what to do with it, and I popped it on my bed, and off I did some homework and bits and pieces. And then one time I decided to just strike it, and then I thumped it, and then I scraped it, and then I tickled it, and then I banged it, and then I all sorts of things. But what I discovered was that when I popped this drum on the bed, on a wooden floor, on a stone, on a bale of straw, on any surface, that drum responded differently. I then turned the drum upside down and discovered these snares across it. thought, here's a completely different instrument. I did exactly the same thing again. The following week, so lesson number two, my teacher said, how did you get on? And I said, I've got no idea. And he knew I was a farmer's daughter, and he said to me, Evelyn, please create the feel of a tractor. The feel of a tractor. So I thought about that. I thought, well, are you talking about a stationary tractor, a tractor in first gear, a tractor pulling a cart, a tractor going up a hill, a tractor stuck in snow, a fancy brand new tractor? What kind of tractor are you talking about? So suddenly in my head, I had a whole orchestra of tractors. So I had a choice. I had a complete choice. What kind of tractor and how that sound could be produced. And that really was the first step of thinking, what is sound? Because my teacher didn't say, what is the sound of a tractor? He said, what's the feel of a tractor? Now, if he said, what's the sound of a tractor? Immediately you think, something like that. But the feel of a tractor is a completely different sensation. Mm -hmm. And so basically, we all have that opportunity to look at our surroundings and think to ourselves, okay, what's my instrument today? What's the instrument in the office environment today? What's the feel of that? What's the feel of being in this room? What's the feel of communicating with you? and so on and so forth. So that really opened up the possibilities of making sound your own, where you become the sound, and that journey isn't coming from a tutor book or exercise book one for snare drum, and please stand like this, make sure your arms are at a 90-degree angle, oh, and by the way, make sure the sticks are in a more or less V-shape, and oh, make sure this hand goes straight up and down, and oh, this one also has to go straight up and down. And before you know it, you're so frightened to strike it and you're looking at your teacher asking for permission, is that the right sound? When in fact, you're already exploring that whole journey of the feel of tractors, the feel of snow, the feel of wind, the feel of wheat swaying in that wind, and so it goes on. So it's the discovery, this whole idea of listening is your own discovery, your own journey of what listening means to you. <laughs> but actually, if, if I just may very quickly add on to that, that a few years ago I visited what we call in the UK a young offenders institution. Basically, it's a correctional centre or a, a prison for, for young people. And uh, there I was, you know, faced with a group of young lads there, and, and I had a, a little snare drum there, and I just asked, you know, do 
does anybody play the snare drum? So, um, or does anybody play drums, anything? So a hand went up, and uh, he said, yep, I play drums. And I said, oh, well, would you like to try the snare drum? And he said, no, 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 I, I play drum kit or drum set, so, you know, I need, I need a drum kit. And I said, oh, well, I don't have a drum kit here, but in my mind, perhaps we could have a drum kit. And he looked as though I just landed from Mars, and he said, no, 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 I need, I need a drum kit. And I said, well, let's think about this a little bit. Let's imagine the snare drum head being a drum kit. Let's imagine the hi-hat there, the tom-tom there, the floor tom there, the bass drum there, maybe a cymbal over there. So he decided to come up. And lo and behold, within about two minutes, he was exploring sound colors with the view of thinking that this snare drum actually was a drum kit. And he had never, ever explored a snare drum in that sort of way. I couldn't actually get my snare drum off him at the end of the session. <laughs> so, you know, it, it just meant that you don't need what you think you need in order to be creative, in order to find your own way of, of things. I'm sure your first uh, percussion lesson uh, that uh, is in your autobiography. Mm -hmm. you, you wrote your autobiography uh, uh, very young. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Good Vibrations, a very good name. <laughs> and um, it was 25 years ago now? Yes, a I long think. time ago. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Will there be a second uh, part of your autobiography? <laughs> You have met some more people since then, I think. That's, mm. that's true. Mm. It was not easy for me to write that first autobiography mm. because I'm not a natural writer as mm. such. And, uh, and those were in the days when uh, we used typewriters. I don't know if you know what those things are, but <laughs> anyway. And uh, so there I was, you know, on this typewriter. And in a way, it's a wonderful percussion instrument, by the way. But, um, mm. you know, it's, it's extraordinary because I found that... I didn't know how to write. I really didn't. And so the advice I was given was just simply start with a word. Just write it down. And it's almost like writing a piece of music. Just write a little note down. That's all you need to do. And that just sort of sets things in motion, really. So it began to be almost a, an attitude where I would just write anything down. And so I had this just a massive material that then could be stripped away. So, but I didn't find it easy, and, and, uh, and so I think that if there was another book, I would, I would probably have someone else write it and make mm. it into a biography as opposed to an autobiography. So, yeah, not easy. And there won't be any sound when someone writes it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm very um, much a, a pen and pencil kind uh, of, a pen and paper person, so this <laughs> is quite nice. <laughs> um, you have... Um, uh, since, since, since you started your career, you have uh, been touring all over the world, really. Mm. And uh, you have come to Sweden also several times. We are very happy for that. Could you say a little about how the art of percussion playing is... Um, how people look at it in different parts of the world? 
Um, I think that's quite hard to do, to be mm. honest, because, I mean, you can look at, um, let's say, Kansas in the US and New mm. York, mm. and you're talking about two completely different places, but yet the same country. Mm. So, or I can think about Glasgow and Edinburgh in Scotland, 50 miles apart, but I wouldn't necessarily play the, pr the same programme in both of those cities. So I think it's much more, you know, complicated than just mm. taking a particular territory, whether it's a continent or a country, um, you know, it's, it's much more dissected than that. And, uh, and I think that all the time you have to ask yourself, who are your customers? Who are your customers? You know, what is this event? It's like walking into a restaurant. If you walk into a McDonald's or something, you're not going to expect a Chinese meal. You know, mm. if you go into a, a very high-class restaurant, you're not going to expect a McDonald's meal. Mm. So you've really got to think what it is that, that you're catering for. So it's, it's really important that when you are asked to give a concert or be part of an event is to know and do some research, you know, what kind of hall are we talking about? How many rehearsals? Who are our customers? Um, you know, what else is in that season or in that um, uh, run of programmes? And that's very important in order to construct programmes. So, um, you know, it's... it's I, it, it is hard to. I mean, you can you can play in the Huddersfield Contemporary Music Festival, for example, in England, but to take that same program to Orkney or somewhere would be totally inappropriate. But you could take certain elements of it mm -hmm. and mix it up with other things. So, and it's not diminishing your audience in any kind of way. It's simply listening to them, and that's so important. You often work with um, uh, composers of today, uh, quite naturally, as there is not very much old music written for percussion. Uh, how, is it, how important is it to have connection directly with the composer? It's, it's mm. crucial. It really mm. is. I mean, when I started out as a solo percussionist, I was very reliant on making my own transcriptions and arrangements. Um, and all the time, I would be asking composers to write things. And what I did was that I, I bought the what we call the British Music Yearbook. I think there's a European version. And it lists many, many, many composers. And I would write to these composers, write a letter to them, and you know, get all of these letters posted. And, and eventually, I got some replies saying, yes, I'd be very happy to write a piece of music, and my fee is X, Y, and Z. And I thought, fee? Composers, <laughs> do they need paying? You know, I had no idea that, that they were paid for what they did. But that sort of catapulted me into the world of commissioning. And it was very important to have that um, good communication and very open communication. Because writing for percussion, you're always thinking about the logistical aspect as well. Mm. And I remember with the early pieces I commissioned, I was really determined for them to use as many instruments as possible and a lot of instruments that maybe were in my my own collection, which was actually very, very selfish of me, because it then meant it was extremely difficult for other people to play those pieces, because mm. they would be searching high and low for certain pieces of equipment. And then obviously, gradually, as you become more experienced and wiser and, and, and that type of thing, that you're thinking, well, hold on a second, what's more important, the piece of music or me? Obviously, it's the piece of music. That will be there forevermore. I won't, you know. So I really needed 
needed to get a body of, of pieces written whereby people just didn't have to think and spend so much energy trying to find the equipment. So that was the, the unique part of being a percussion player. But also, I think, you know, since 9-11 happened, everything changed for us all, and to transport the equipment became much more of a challenge. And, uh, and also, as I'm getting older, I have to think to myself, well, can I actually run as quickly from there to there in playing certain pieces of music? So I'm determined to, you know, have a body of repertoire that concentrates on maybe just one or two instruments, so that as we are living longer and we're actually being practical players for longer, that there will then be a body of repertoire for people to play should they just want to have a single instrument. So that, that's important to me. When you were here uh, last time, you gave a wonderful concert at the Musicalisk Academy with a, a new piece by British composer Jill Jarman. Yes. Very nice, mm -hmm. I thought. Could you Tell us a little about that piece. Was it commissioned by you? Or? Yes, I mean, uh. Jill Jarman, she comes from a, a more a jazz background, mm -hmm. and, uh, but she's a very, very clever orchestrator, uh, mm -hmm. a great colorist, and um, she really wanted to have this challenge to write a double concerto for violin and percussion, just using marimba and vibraphone. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and she came out with an extraordinary piece, and she's one of those composers where, you know, this constant communication is so vital, and I like that too. And mm -hmm. of course, the explosion of the internet means that that makes it a lot easier and quicker to, um, to make any changes to experiment with things and so on. So, you know, part of the, the, the work that I'm doing at the moment is to commission double concertos because, of course, orchestras are... Um, going through challenging times at the moment, and uh, they're not always able to necessarily um, have soloists in every concert that they put on. So I really like the idea of them being able to use particular players from the actual orchestra themselves to couple with a soloist, or if they want that. And it then means that that audience has a real connection knowing the player from the, the orchestra, and it's getting him or her you know, in that limelight as well, and, and getting them out of the normal musical context, you know, um, getting them to the front of the orchestra. So we've got a, a, a fair amount of concertos, double concertos, so the violin percussion, we have piano percussion, mm -hmm. next year we'll premiere a trombone and percussion concerto by Christian Lindbergh, and that'll be an interesting project, because Christian was the first ever full-time solo trombonist, so you'll have the first ever full-time mm -hmm solo trombonist and the first ever full-time solo percussionist coming together. And uh, so that'll be an interesting one. Should we give the audience... Um, well, I, the I just, I, I've mm. just sort of more mm. or less come from uh, the mm. airport, so I'm not wholly, wholly unpacked yet, but mm. what I brought along mm. was a little water phone. <coughs> and um, if I just pop my bag up here, if I may. <laughs> How many of you have never heard of the word waterphone before? So, if I just take it out. How many of you have never seen a waterphone before? 
This is only a small one. How many of you have never seen this instrument before? So you have never seen this instrument before. So if I look at you, and I can hardly see you, but by looking at this instrument, what do you think it feels like? Just by looking at it, what do you think it feels like? And you can speak in Swedish if that's of any help, because my mm. Swedish is nil. Cage. Cage. He said. Cage. 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 Mm. I love that answer. Cage. Mm. Another answer from someone who has never seen the water phone. What do you think? If you can pop your hands up, that would be great. Very sharp. Very sharp. Sharp. Very mm. sharp. And one more. One more. Very good. Carousel? Carousel. Mm. Really interesting answers. Mm. This is what I do every single time when I come across an instrument I've never seen before, but I do it even more with the instruments I have seen before. So I look at this and I think, okay, I look at the material. Oh, it's got a little funnel there. It's got different size prongs going upwards. It's a hard metallic type of material. So I'm thinking, well, it's not going to be a wood sound. It will have sustain and it will have dynamic because of the different lengths here. So I would class this as a gold sound, a sound that has that journey. I also feel that this could be an instrument whereby we can fool you as regards to whether there is sound or not. So, for example, if I get my little bow out. Tell me what this sound is. What was that? What was that? Silence. Pardon? Silence. Silence. Mm. Well, actually, I wasn't even touching the instrument. Mm. <laughs> you created the silence because you suddenly became a lot more still. So your presence in a performance is so incredibly crucial. It really is. You change things that we do up here. You really do. So although we spend a lot of time practicing in the privacy of our own four walls, what you do and what you help us to do is that in those four walls, I imagine you being there. I imagine you being present there in my mind. And that allows me to really project the sound that I want with your presence. Whereas if I just ignore that you're there, well, I would just simply play softly. But no, it was your stillness that made me think, you know what, I'm not even going to touch this. So it's your fault that there was no sound there. <laughs> but actually, what's interesting is that this instrument came with an A4 sheet of paper. It was instructions as to how to play the waterphone. Now, the waterphone mm. requires a small amount of water yeah, put inside. Ooh. Mm. There we go, just a wee amount. Like that. Mm. So I did that. And then I read further down the instructions, and it said, now, if you get a very high, squeaky sound, that's not the sound you want. So try to avoid that sound at all costs. So I thought, 
high squeaky sound. Well, if it creates a high squeaky sound, then I want that high squeaky sound. <laughs> now, what was interesting was that when I started experimenting with this instrument, I received a call from a lady called Linda Laplante, and she basically creates a lot of TV dramas and has written books, mainly about murders and things like that. And she was thinking about me in order to write the music for some of the series of Trial and Retribution, the TV drama. And so I said, well, Linda, if you could come to my little studio, I can show you some of the instruments. So indeed she came, and I said, here's a waterphone. I was really getting were high squeaky sounds and she said Evelyn <laughs> that really really brings up the picture of being in a playing field there's a roundabout going round and round and round it goes <coughs> and then there's a bicycle and it's sort of just laying on the ground and the wheel is going round and round and round but there are no children there so immediately it creates a fairly eerie, eerie feeling that, because you feel as though the roundabout is going. The bicycle wheel. But if you really pay attention, there are low resonant sounds going on there, which gives you the idea that, well, has a man murdered a child? The low, deep sounds, is that a man sound? And it immediately begins to, to, to you know, give you these sort of thoughts in your mind, but perhaps we've never really thought about the music in such a way like that. Well, is it telling a story? Yes, it is. But the crux to this particular story is that if ever you see instructions that come with an instrument, ignore them. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Polar Talks 2015, which are brought to you in association with SAS Scandinavian Airlines. For more from this year's Polar Music Prize, visit polarmusicprize.org.